Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of APIs You Won't Hate with me, Phil Sturgeon, and no Mike, the co-host. So I'm still muddling through trying to figure out what buttons I'm meant to press, but slowly getting the hang of it. And thankfully, I'm joined today by Lorna Mitchell. Say hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Happy to be here. Nice. How's it going? I think you've been on the podcast before. I meant to actually look that up back in the day, talking about something or other. But if not, I actually don't think I have. I, I have written for APIs you won't hate and I like uh, to write. I should do that again. Not sure we've done the podcast thing before. All right. Well, either way, welcome. And for folks who don't know who you are, could you describe a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Lorna. I'm currently VP of Developer Experience at Redockly. Uh, but my background is I've been a software engineer for a long time. I'm a conference speaker, I'm a published author, and I am mad passionate about APIs and open source. Ah, sorry, I was just doing some research live on a podcast like a real professional. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, no, your, your name pops up everywhere in OpenAPI. And yeah, you were pretty helpful in the OpenAPI 3.1 stuff when we were trying to get all of that across the line. And what was it? What was the main thing you were working on? I completely forgot. Because my whole thing was like, Jason Schema needs to match open API, or what are we even doing? But you were working on other bits. Yeah, so for 3.1, which is when I really came into working on open API itself, I was working on the webhooks thing. Mm. And that's when I was at Vonage. And with their two-way messaging APIs, you need webhooks. Callbacks are not the same. Um, yeah. So that was, I, for, in my not humble at all opinion, one of the best things about the 3.1 release <laughs> of open API. Absolutely. I, I forgot that was you that helped push that through. Um, yeah, we're using it using it right now um, for some webhook stuff that Protect Earth's doing. So yeah, it's really nice that that's there because it was always a bit weird trying to hack that into callbacks. You'd have to like pretend, you'd have to make some sort of fake URL called like webhooks or something and then just kind of pretend what it was for. But no, this is it's useful to be able to say sometimes there are messages that are going to come from this server that aren't simply in response to a request you just made. You can register for a webhook through the website or whatever. I mean, Shopify is super weird. We're, we're registering for webhooks with them through like a CLI command, which is awkward. But then it will just forever spit webhooks at us on, on topics that aren't related to a single thing. So it's really handy to have that in there. Yeah, I think there's loads of use cases. You know, callbacks gave us half of it. You know, it's in response to an incoming request. but Webhooks lets you have that payload going across in response to something else. Yeah, brilliant. And so you've been involved in loads of stuff with OpenAPI, and obviously you're working for Redockly now. But yeah, we, we, we've both been kind of in the same spaces working on trying to make like a sidekick for OpenAPI, right? I did that mm -hmm. recent blog post about how Redockly has kind of got there now, but um, you were around in, in Specky trying to make that useful and, and spectral. And you just talk a little bit about those tools and where you feel like they fell short and you know what they're good at what they're bad at and then and then what's going on with redockly and it's kind of open api sidekick now yeah no i think i think there are so many great api tools now but it's not as if they just came out of thin air now like they're ready to use now like you say specky i think was one of the first ones that at least i knew of which really helped me to validate and check things. I'm not sure I was customizing it a lot. And so that can be quite frustrating if you're using out of the box rules. I think too many people do that. And then it can be a hard experience. 
Yeah, um, I think specifically, I think you were the person who, well, a lot of people really hated all of the default rules about like tags and stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. I seem to remember you giving a bunch of feedback about that. Like, why is it constantly complaining that I need to use tags? I don't actually need to use tags. And that was just th- in there for yeah, some reason. I, th- I think it was an API with like two endpoints. So I really don't need to tag them, but thanks. And then we used Spectral a lot. I realized the other, you'll love this. I realized the other day that my personal blog, so that's lonnyjane.net, we'll put it in the show notes. My personal blog has instructions of how to lint APIs with Spectral, but it does not have how to lint them with Reductly CLI, which is, that's what I do now. Uh, time for an updated uh, blog post, I <laughs> Definitely. Well, and we'll just write all the blog posts for all the tools yeah. um, because I think they're all great. But yeah, I used Spectral and that's when I started customizing rules. I was working for Vonage. And what's interesting about this is I think I did Specky when I was working for um, doing like integration consultancy. I, I worked on Spectral when I was at Vonage. They're an API provider. So that, and they, but they have a lot of APIs and they're quite different from each other. So working on spectral there and making sure that we're enforcing that consistency. And, you know, I'm not sure developer experience was a buzzword then, but that's how I would call it now. In between, um, I worked at a cool, another cool cloud, SaaS, and um, they had an API. And that's when I started using Redockly's tools um, because I really enjoyed their linting. And of course, Redoc, API reference documentation. So now I'm at... Redockly working on Redockly CLI, which, as you say, is the API sidekick. And I think I'm still seeing some of those same problems, like people use the recommended rule set and then tell us it's wrong. It's, uh, you need to just uh, yeah, yeah. one in one, run it, we'll give you some good feedback. You know, and I'm seeing some more of those, load your API and we'll tell you what you've done wrong. Like, yeah, but every API is different. So you need to customize your rule set um, and use it yourself. So Redockly CLI is open source. It does do the linting, but it does a couple of things that I would describe as either side of that in the process. One is it has functionality for splitting your open API up into multiple files. So you don't have to deal with a hundred thousand lines of diff. You can, and also you can look at like which segments changed and that can be easier for review. Mm. Um, it's also easier on your editor. And then you can... Well, yeah, whenever you're trying to like send a pull request on a file that's 10,000 lines long, firstly, it's just not going to show you the preview half the time. And secondly, it's more more likely to conflict because two people worked on something completely different, but it didn't realize it was completely different and therefore, bath. Um, yeah, so, and it's hard yeah. to reason about which sections should have changed mm. when it's just one long thing. I think before, before we go past it too quickly, I think one of the... Most impressive thing. So when I was doing the review of Redockly, I was like, okay, yeah, I know what this is about. They got like a linty thing and they got like a bundly thing and they got like a preview docs. These are all good. These aren't new things. They've been kind of brought together in a, in in one new tool that does a whole bunch of things, which is great. But what I was really, really excited about discovering was the split thing. Because the number of times like I'm looking at some massive open API file going, like it's been generated from HTTP or whatever. You're kind of like, just you're just staring at that massive file going, this is going to take some time. I think like Stoplight Studio at some point had baked some functionality in, like move this to a model, but mm-hmm. then the button broke and it was disabled and I begged and begged and begged to get that button put back in and they went, oh, we're too busy. I was like, no, because taking a, taking a giant OP, open API file, like I feel like no one's doing enough refactoring, mm-hmm. automating refactoring, like move this to, move this to model. And these two, these two 
in place things look the same um change that to one ref and i think you know split split does a lot of that they they notice that you've got refs and they'll like bung them off into files and it did also notice that two things were the same thing and mm-hmm. put them into the same file and i was like god damn that's useful um, yeah. so i was really glad to see that even though it's like a, a undersung kind of feature it is but i think it does really help and particularly as we mature in our api practice it's not just about i wrote an open api file or i generated one there you go i've done that tick you know those are living changing documents and so the maintenance aspect gets quite big so yeah the, i think this the splitting bundling and we also have join so where people are maintaining different every team Ooh, maintains an api each but you publish it as a single surface that's mm. actually really messy i've seen some horrible merge attempts <laughs> and join yeah. attempts to handle that which i think is really nice so from an api management point of view the other thing that i love about redocly cli which I am now seeing in other places, but Redocly CLI has had it for a long time, is decorators. The ability mm. to repeatably transform something in an open API document. So you get something, it's not perfect, or you want to add something for the next stage in your pipeline, um, there's a decorators set. There are some built-in decorators, but you can also extend it by saying, whenever you see a, I don't know, an, an operation parameter, do this. Interesting. Like, like what? Make it more tangible for my struggling brain. So we do things like you can add, you can replace all the descriptions. This, this operation ID should have this description. This one should have this description. So if you're mm. getting poor quality generated con, or you want to add, you know, the descriptions in open API support markdown. So you can add really beautiful, rich links and whatever. Do you want to maintain that in your source code when you're generating from that? You know, oh, I see. It's yeah. like you're maintaining the YAML for the markdown in your source code. I just, I do <laughs> understand why people don't enjoy that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's the the people that advocate most for the kind of code first, bug it all into annotations in our code approach are the people who aren't ever going to put very much effort into their documentation and therefore uh, you know you're not you're not going to see these like 100 lines of markdown showing up in the source code purely because they wouldn't bother to write it and the tech writers can't be faff to go and like get in there um, or may not so... <laughs> even have access right that's really yeah. common you get frustrated tech writers who could add really great you know descriptive content example values if it's generated from source code and not and they're not giving access to the source code, it's very difficult yeah. to include that. And we're starting to see tools as well. Obviously, the documentation tools, Redoc and Friends, are the very good API documentation tools are available. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Standard BBC yes, response, yeah. Well, I just feel like I don't mind which one you use, but please give me some documentation, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the SDK generators as well. You know, we've just seen Speakeasy release the overlays tool because their tool does better with some added metadata. And you don't want mm. to maintain that in wherever upstream your open API things are coming from. Great. Well, that brings us on nicely. So I've been meaning to pick your brain about overlays a bit because it's, it's something that there's increasing interest in. I mean, I, I work with the, the folks at Bump as well, and they were asking about, about a bit more about overlays. And there's a lot of people in the docs space who are interested in that idea for exactly what you're saying. Like, if you know the the code first people they dump out some open api and it's whatever it is and if you edit it then it's just you know 
gone the next time they dump it out. Mm -hmm. Or you've got the people that are design first where the, the YAML is the source of truth and they do all their edits and, and that's that. And that's probably a little bit easier to add things into. But then maybe you're trying to expand somebody else's published design first stuff that you don't have any control over. So there's this kind of constant idea of taking some open API and then like programmatically adding stuff to it for whatever reason, tech writing, you do translation, you add a bunch of stuff in. I've, I've seen your name come up for quite a few blog posts in overlay, overlays. And while I was doing some research, I noticed the folks over at Redoc aren't quite so impressed with it. So I was wondering if you could explain where it all sits. Controversial. Yeah, yeah. I think. So there's an older blog post on the Redoc website where Adam, you know, is it, didn't love it when he saw it. It's not a brand fresh site, but it is top hit for overlay. So it's not a it's secret. And, and I think the point there is a good one that it's yet another complex structure. We've got a specification with no tooling at all, and mm. it requires use of JSON path. Now, if you've been using spectral, that is very JSON path heavy. Yeah. But Redockly CLI isn't. We do that by considering the open API as like a tree structure and the different data types. Mm. So everything's very type aware um, and you can filter on fields and it knows, oh, this is a parameter, uh, you know, it'll have an in. Then we don't, with JSON path, it's just blind data structure. So we yeah. don't have JSON path currently in the Redockly CLI ecosystem. I don't think at all. And so that extra learning curve, you sort of think, well, I don't know who could use this. Like, it's a good solution, but there's no validator for the format. And the learning curve puts it beyond a lot of the users that at Redockly mm. we're trying to enable. Right. And so I think when we're talking about the use cases for decorators, like overlays kind of intended to be a more generic implementation of that that yes. anyone could theoretically use, whereas decorators is more of a like Redockly feature. And could theoretically be, you know, rejimmy to, to be the same thing. But what, what you're saying is, yeah, the right now overlays are designed to use JSON path. And for anyone who's not familiar, if you've been using Spectral, then yeah, that's, that's the absolutely batshit bunch of things you're typing into those rules to try and make anything make work. Um, make work. You can tell I'm tired. <laughs> I was saying before the show, I've just come back from API days and, and normally API days gets you a hangover, but this time I've just been like sick for a couple of days and now I've just not slept. I decided to go and get myself into a hotel room early and then like got into bed at eight o'clock and there were just like homeless people screaming outside my window until 4am and then the fire alarm went off at 8am and I'm like, what is reality? So yeah, Jason Path is even more confusing than my brain right now. And basically you have to kind of tell it what you would like to filter through, kind of like a CSS selector, but for Jason. And then, so Jason Path doesn't have a standard. They're kind of working on one, but it's not there yet. And so much like what Markdown had like Markdown Plus and a million different Markdown flavors, Jason Path now has Jason Path Plus, which Stoplight was using for quite a long time and, and used as the main thing for, for spectral rules. But then that wasn't quite enough. And then like Nimmer appeared, which is Jason Path Plus with some other bits. And like even Jason Path Plus, not Nimmer, is a mixture of a lot of just squiggles and doodles and backticks. But also you can bung regex in there. So you can kind of say, I would like mm. to dot gets you into the property of something. And then square brackets can get you into like the array of, of something. And then there's like stars to say all of them. And there's tilde to say parent. And you can kind of 
fetch all of the headers where the parent is on this and the, the name begins with an X and you can do really powerful things, but it's almost impossible in any sort of, um, it, I've made lots of spectral rule sets because I built an NPM rule set and, and I built an NPM test suite using Jest so that I can type in these crazy things and go, am I close yet? Am I close yet? Am I close yet? And yeah. the result will show me what I've done. But most people are just writing a YAML file and, and that doesn't work. So you have to like literally switch over to your terminal, run it, and it just blows up at you in strange ways. And it, it can be very hard to do. So it's one of the things I really appreciated about, about Redoc, Redoc Lee CLI was the, was the switch to using just named selectors. So you could say like header, Instead yeah. of going like, blah, 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 for, you know, and I think Spectral's trying, yeah. it made early attempts to fix that by adding aliases, but I'm just going off on a bit of a tirade now. I've got to get some stuff it's off good. my chest. <laughs> Carry the, on. Um, the roadmap for aliases was powerful and impressive. And I've spoke to Smart Bear, who have now inherited this to try and get this mm -hmm. back on the table. But um, basically aliases, the idea was let's come up with a list of aliases, common open API aliases, common async API aliases. And then people can use those instead. So instead of dollar dot, which is root and then dot paths brackets slash post, you, you would just say like, you would just say paths and then you could do the square bracket slash post to pull out all the post ones. So you would cut out a lot of the nonsense by using aliases to replace a certain chunk of, um, of the JSON path. Whereas I think Redogly would have said, you know, paths, and then you would have if header, but if, if, if post or something, right? So yours is more of a DSL approach, but aliases seem like a good step forward. And yeah, the, the aliases ended up getting defined in the core rule set of the, like the core open API rule set, and they weren't extendable. So if you extend the core open API rule set, you can get those aliases out. They're only available inside the place they're defined. So that yeah. meant you couldn't actually use those to help like no one using, no one writing their own rule sets, extending open API or no one writing their own rule sets at all could use those aliases unless you mm -hmm. copy and paste them. And so I'm, I've been suggesting that like, not only should they be extendable, but they should be defined in like the format. So you should, you know, anyone using the open API format at all, whether it's a core rule set or not, you should get those aliases. But that's, that's a bit more of a, like a, a roadmap one day they might fix it kind of thing, but. I completely okay. recognize the need to not JSON path and therefore avoid that entirely in overlays, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think it is avoidable in overlays. And I feel a little bit like I've done it an injustice there, like leading with that, leading with that negative, the controversial blog mm -hmm. post, you know, not everyone's a fan. I really think that overlays solves a real problem. Like I see this all the time. We just talked about when it's generated from code and it hasn't got enough anything. I'm also seeing much more complex pipelines now. You know, people have multiple teams maintaining different bits of the API surface. They all ship an open API. We join it into one. Mm. And then the, the downstream outputs, whether that's documentation, SDK generation, API gateways, like whatever, all of them need their own enrichment. And overlays solves that problem where you don't have to, you can just, yeah, add a translation, add an example, add the hint for the correct data type for the target language in the SDK. And the team mm. that deals with the SDKs can do that. We don't have to go all the way back in a, in a, in a big organization. That's hard. 
to find the team that maintains the thing that lives in the house that Jack built, right? So (laughs) (laughs) we, we can do that here. Overlays solves that problem. I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the implementations, there are not many overlays implementations one of them is mine we can link to it it's very (laughs) hobby brilliant i just i this is how i get things out of my brain i had to write code that did it so that i could look at it right i need to do that's really helpful i I remember i remember reading the the official page of the overlays working group and oh just a quick thing on working group Mm. so open api used to do everything by everyone getting on a weekly call and then getting homework assigned. And then like, maybe it was done by the next weekly call, but that was how everything ever happened. And if there wasn't enough interest in certain things, then they just wouldn't happen. But now things have been split up into working groups. And I think one of them was like workflows that I was briefly involved with. It's quite exciting. And um, there's a bunch of other ones and SLAs and, and yeah, so overlays was, was one of them. And it's great to see and early kind of finish. I don't know what phases and stages there are, but I read the repo and it said like, we're basically stable now, but no one's really implemented this. So can, you know, we need some big implementations to go and do it. And, and it's cool to hear there's some hobbyist ones or some implementations out there, but that mm-hmm. that's the hard part. We had this problem at Stoplight. Everyone has this problem where you want to support a feature, but you get a few user requests come in saying like, could you use this feature? Can we, could we have this feature? And then you're like, oh, I'm not sure we should implement it because it's not stable yet. And the people who have like come up with it have said, well, we'll only call it version one when it's had some implementation and some feedback. So you get in this chicken and egg problem of everyone hoping somebody else will implement yeah. it so that then it stabilizes. But then if they're the first to market, then you lose out, but you're not c- prepared to commit the resources to it. So, um, well, no, so where are news. we at? <laughs> good news. I have a hobbyist thing and I think Mike Ralphson has something as well. He donated me a Butters. Uh, mine's open source. Of course he's Mike a does. great person. Yeah, Brilliant. of course he does. It's like he's got his finger on the pulse. But there's another implementation, which is from Speakeasy. Now they do cool modern SDKs. It is not a coincidence that it is them that have gone to implement with overlays because OpenAPI does not have all of the metadata that you need to generate a great SDK in every tech stack. Some of them need more data type instructions or serialization information, or you know, there's a lot that you need to add that wouldn't be in a standard OpenAPI description. So they have these extra extensions, the X dash fields that they add and rather than everyone, like you say, you can't add them because then when you update your open API, they are lost. So not mm. a coincidence that they implemented overlays. Their tool is available. It's open source. It includes a validator. They kind of embraced and extended the, the implementation a little bit, but I think that's an interesting use case too. So yeah, more than one tool to look at. And I'm excited Ooh. because I think it, it really solves a real problem. That is really cool. And once again, I'm Googling mid podcast because I am extremely professional, but I'm looking at the speakeasy.dev. I'm just seeing AI powered end to end API maintenance. And again, there's like, I've just come from API days. Every other talk was about AI and I just, you know, my, my eyes are in pain from rolling, but this looks like a, a really useful implementation. They're like, they've noticed that you've typed, uh, they've noticed that you've typed in a duplicate schema and then just yeah. like changed it to a ref, <laughs> which is amazing. And there's a lot of other pretty cool looking stuff on this marketing page. Let's, let's be clear. Um, I like their intentions. Yeah. This is interesting. And I think I need to dig in more. I'm with you in, in team rolling your eyes uh, when it comes to, yeah, AI is going to do everything, but actually mm. 
the open API, that standard machine readable specification is going to enable a bunch of AI applications. So, and also ChatGPT4 knows quite a lot of open API and can like yeah. quickly give you, quickly give you back some hilarious and sensible example fields, for example. <laughs> I wouldn't let it write my Brilliant. API, but when I'm working on examples, it's like, this could be better. Like make me, yeah. make me something fun with circus animals. It can do that. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Cause writing, you know, arbitrary examples was always the hardest part. I would always really struggle to do tutorials or demos. Cause I was like, just coming up with contrived examples is so frustrating. And like, everyone's got a bloody to do app and no one cares. And, and just, I, I fundamentally refuse to use the pet store for anything ever. So oh, yeah, so I, I maybe have... we can share a link to Redoppy just published a museum API for more or less these reasons. Nice. Also, the pet okay. store's really outdated. Smart yeah. only just gone to 3.1. So we've been using a variation of this museum uh, thing internally. And we were like, we should ship this. Right. So I'll link so, it. So, I mean, the, what really annoys me about the pet store is that it's a bad API. Like it's describing a bad API. It's got like a bunch of really bad conventions in the actual API that it's describing. Mm -hmm. It uses a weird amount of, it uses like a, a, an odd amount of open API to do it. I think it's been copied from like Swagger 2 and, and yes, not be, being fleshed out. And then, so now the pet store lives in OpenAPI 3 when like 3.1 came out 2020, 2021? January 2021, by the time we pressed the button. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, two, it's nearly, yeah, it's a while. Mm. So don't use the pet store. Um, there's other better examples. And I like that AI can help with that for sure. I mean, I have been using Copilot built into VS Code and... It's been helping me out for the Protect Earth API quite a lot. Like I was just adding a, an array of species to sites so that we can, ahead of time, we can say, look, these are the only species we're going to plant at this site. Mm -hmm. So when I'm going through the field and it's raining and I've got to take a photograph of 4,000 bloody trees we just planted for proof for our funding partners, I don't want to be scrolling past like sea buckthorn, which we've never planted, um, yeah. just to get to like the, the, the subset of the eight species that are actually in that bloody field, right? Because we've got like 50 different species we may plant there. Uh, so yeah, like I was just putting that in and I just typed on the, on the sites list, I typed in species and it was like, oh, would you like to add all of these obvious properties and this whole schema and then reference the docs slash schema, uh, no, sorry, schemas slash uh, species that I see over there. I was like, yes, yes, I bloody would. And it just built like loads of stuff for me. Um, and even building, building that, that one schema was great. But there have been lots of times where it's just completely hallucinated and done something absolutely bonkers and yeah. I just like pushed it. So I, yeah. I still don't no. trust it to do anything much apart from like kind of assist me, but I, I, I will never do dictated but not read with AI. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I think as well, like it's a, it's, it's a time enhancer for me. One of the things that I find time consuming is I'm no longer particularly technically specialist in any given programming language i write about mm. four with equal levels of danger php is my original community but it's moved on i wouldn't yeah, recognize yeah. it if i walked past it in the street right. and so and so actually i can write all of those languages and i can debug all of those languages but i just like throw the thing i want in and i get something back and then that's enough so otherwise you're like how do i iterate how do i concatenate what have i done wrong with the yeah, scope yeah. on this you know, like I know that it's JavaScript array is a reference, but I need it to not be. And, and so that kind of speed up is quicker. For the things that I don't know, it just lies and I can't catch it. So yeah, I'm with you. That's good. That, that is absolutely the problem. And it's totally fine if this indicated like 
this podcast decays into complaining about AI because I've been meaning to talk more about AI on it for a while. We've got someone coming on soon to talk about things that it is useful for. And so we can get some of the bullshit out of the way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, even with PHP, like people have said, oh, it can help you write your tests or whatever. And I was writing a test for a model and it just kept recommending that I like write these really complicated tests for relationships, which you don't really need to do because if you have an ORM that has relationship logic and you just say, you know, orders should have organization. You don't really need to write a test that's, that says orders do have organization, but the test it wrote was invalid and didn't fundamentally work at all um, and kept doing loads of other stuff. It was trying to test methods that didn't exist. Like yeah. it was trying to find out if that order was allocated to something, but orders aren't allocated, like units are allocated to orders. So it, it saw enough to have a real college try, but it didn't actually do the right thing. And it just confused me more than if it didn't, because if it if I hadn't spent like 10 minutes trying to faff around with the, the bad test that it made, I would have just Googled, how do I test this thing yeah. and then done it. So Yeah. And I do worry about how much it helps us to learn new things. And especially if you're earlier in your career, like mm. actually, is this helping you to be the best right. that you can be? It, I, I'm, I'm just not sure. And time will tell, I think. Yeah. One, one devil's advocate there is that it's it's just sped up stack overflow copy pasting which is you know and it has a bit of knowledge of your system whereas stack mm -hmm. overflow has none so there's plenty of times that i've like googled for a problem and like copied and pasted the close enough thing into my code base and, and then hope for the best and so if it's if it's doing that but slightly better then okay but it isn't always it's still not really adding that knowledge and there's you're missing the like the ability to see down votes and you know um I mean, I think you were around in the coding matter days, right? And, and yeah. if not early PHP days where a lot of people were doing really dumb stuff and really dumb stuff was popular mm. and, and the popularity of something, the frequency of which you see something doesn't make it better. And so you kind of have to hope that at least with Stack Overflow and some of those forums, you'd have someone posting a really terrible idea that may even be accepted. And then a bunch of people downvoting and going, what are you doing underneath it? Which yeah. is good. And with this, it just goes, nah, take that, mate. It'll be fine. Accepted answer. Go for it. Yeah. And what you want is you want the most devoted answer. And you also want, did this change recently? You know, Stack Overflow is not a new site. Yeah, yeah. Some of that stuff is It was 10 the correct old. answer for years. Yeah. This was correct. But after 2015, you should do it this way. Like, that's, right. a, that's a real answer. And I feel that the machines aren't necessarily on our side with that because yeah. they can't take in that context. Can I, can I do a, a complain about, oh, it's my podcast, I'll do what I want. Yeah, I love, so one I of the love talks, your rants. Please, please continue. <laughs> one of the talks I saw by a lovely bloke, well-intentioned talk, but the whole thing fundamentally seemed to be integrating with other people's APIs is really hard. So here we can get AI to do it for us. So here is an, an AI doing all of this really complicated, amazing stuff. And it was truly impressive what the toy demos were doing but towards the end of the question and answer it was very much how much does the ai need the api to be built in a specific way and um and he was like oh yeah basically there are certain ways that ai will expect the api to be built and if it's not built following those very specific assumptions then this basically won't work at all so what some people do is build a new API specifically for the AI mm -hmm. uh, where it does follow all of those conventions and then it can save you loads of time. It's like, oh, okay, we're all just completely rebuilding all of our APIs and, and doing BFFs for every client just so the AI can then save some time instead of looking at the 
docs we spent ages making. I don't, I, that's, that sort of thing is where my, my, my bullshit flag goes up. Cause it's yeah. like, is this just early days and the AI will eventually be able to talk to any API or are we just kind of saying like the wizard will fix it and pass in more work onto API teams who probably would have had a better time sitting down with their stakeholders and asking what they really need instead of building some shit that was so confusing in the first place that everyone's scared of looking at the documentation and then asks for an AI to be built so they can figure out what the hell you did. Like, and then we maybe just we could just make better it. APIs. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm an optimist, so I, I want to flip that argument and say you're right, but it, what you're actually saying is that the people who have well-designed, well-documented APIs described with OpenAPI can integrate easily and well both with other platforms and with AI if that's what people want to use it with mm. it's good for all integrations people who have badly designed APIs incomplete API documentation they are going to have a hard time I don't think the wrapper APIs add anything you, yeah. you'd be better just to start again talk to the actual user and talk to the AI <laughs> if you like they're very chatty and, ma and make things better that's cool yeah, I think it's a good point is that some of those, some of those people were coming from a place of you don't have any open API or anything similar. So if it's mm. just like you have an implementation and then like some JSON happens, I guess, then how would anyone know anything about this? And I think open API is an interesting way that it can add in more. You can, you can train an API on that a bit. And even if they don't understand what all of the objects are moving through, like part of something that a, the API community needs to do anyway, and part of my like. 10 year plan, 20 year plan for like what I'm going to be blathering about in API world has always been step one, get people defining what the hell this data is, right? Like open API isn't the end goal that we all, we do this and then everything's brilliant. Even though I talk about it plenty, it was, you have random Jason flying about the internet and no one knows what the fuck is going on. This is not great. So getting people to like write that down, make yeah. a contract that, that, that was step one. And then okay, great. We know what your implement, you know, your version of a tree and your version of a person and your version of a whatever account. But then like, can we try and have shared collections and mm. stop like we were doing design libraries where you can have like a repository of open API models you can reuse within your organization. Cause there was one company that had 500 different versions of a flight, which is literally yes. plane goes from there to there. Like that's not very complicated with some seats, but there are a lot of different versions. Um, and so they've, they've kind of squished that down to one version of a flight now. So it's literally describe the mess and then like reduce the, the, the mess, <laughs> um, and then like reuse those outside of the organization with, yeah. you know, shared data models and, and concepts like schema.org, maybe not that. Cause it's like a lot of that is biological medical data, which doesn't seem very helpful, but that kind of concept. And then after that, like everyone is more trained, Hatios becomes more useful in that world because yes. you don't need to train it to know exactly what that URL is. You train it to know what these generic models are and how you work with them. Um, but it also makes AI more useful because it then has that same shared knowledge of what's coming back. So I, I like that that approach seems to be the same as my existing approach. <laughs> I don't have to change my thoughts too much. Great. But yeah, the other, there is a lot of like magical wiz wizard stuff in the world of AIs and I do want to kind of get people to be a bit cautious about what they go all in on because it yeah some of it doesn't seem very helpful agreed last bit we were going to talk about was open api 4 i have been very out of the loop on this it has a fun name moonwalk what's going on help yeah i'm not sure why it needed a project code name but i think we've been kicking this around for a while i mean i went off and spent 
two years working in the database space and came back and we were still talking about it. So it's not going anywhere. Um, I was going to say you vanished for a while and then came back to open I did. I had an it, absolutely lovely time doing loads of DevRel with loads of open source databases at Ivan, which was great. Mm-hmm. Now I'm back in the API space. That's great as well. Didn't mention I'm an optimist. <laughs> so news, news from the open API community then. I mean, I think there's news in both the V3 and the V4 worlds. The V3 news is just we are seeing a lot of adoption. We are seeing people using 3.1. I think some of those educational resources are starting to get out there. Companies like Redockly, but it takes the whole ecosystem. Um, yeah. And we, I think even though we're commercial competitors, we know we share a community and we collaborate really well. I'm sure that's true in other industries as well. Um, but so yeah, three, going from strength to strength, new tools all the time, and general goodness. Four, uh, we've just put out a blog post from the OpenAPI initiative, uh, committing to launching a version of four in 2024. Okay, so getting people ready for it instead of ticking. panic. Yep. Yeah. And there is, if anyone wants to see, we'll put it in the show notes. There's a repository full of discussions on GitHub about what we want to solve at a high level. Um, it's We are mm. looking at simplifying the structure, making it a bit more resource oriented um, and right, a little bit more right. approachable as well. Jason Schemer, Just to explain on that a yep. second, the resource orientated meaning it's a bit less about like paths, what are your paths? Because that's been a, a concern about it not really being very resty because yeah. like paths, some people will say that in a rest API, like paths are the least important thing. And they could literally be like a random MD5 checksum is the most extreme example I've heard someone say, because it really is just, it's about interacting with resources as like a state machine. Yeah. And the homepage is a resource that then like lets you see other resources you could interact with in various ways and describes how. And so the fact that OpenAPI has always been like, tell me your paths, resources are optional, has always felt a little bit RPC-ish to many people. So it is has. that something that's... So, well, and the goal, I think, with Moonwalk is to get away from paths so that we can include more types of API, including the ones that are Mm. less RESTful. So with RPC, where you have one endpoint and maybe different query parameters or body Mm. data makes different actions happen, you can't represent that right now in OpenAPI. If you can just have, it's like the path and verb combination is it get or is it post what's the exact mm. path not including query parameters that's your unique identifier yeah so someone called... had to make open api sorry open rpc which is like a copy paste of open api but tweaked it so that you could do rpc stuff and mm. so yeah that would be nice if yeah and looking more at there are more than more things than that that go into what we're now calling a signature like what endpoint is this how would you root it in your code you know does your API do different things on header or on some mm. other thing that we could take into account? Otherwise, you end up with this very, lots of polymorphism because you can't correctly represent that these two things look completely different. If it's, you know, completed orders or incomplete orders, it yeah. might be a filter on an endpoint, but you're going to get different types of object back. Moonwalk is going to cater for that as well um but there's a thriving community lots of chat three three isn't going anywhere that's a lively community too and as with the open api initiative we're looking more at how we can better respond to questions in that community stuff like that i have triage on those repos and just trying to get everyone to be a bit more present 
Nice. I will have to dive in a little bit more. I mean, bloody hell, we had Daryl Miller on on the episode, on the podcast, and I didn't ask him a single question about it, but we're <laughs> talking about other stuff. I think the reason they came up with Moonwalk was that they wanted a bit of a experimental playground where they could just try and hash out some ideas without everyone going, that's definitely what's happening. Panic, panic, don't do four, um, which would definitely happen. We've had that before. So I can understand that. And it sounds like it's kind of got enough agreement amongst the people that were paying attention that it is moving towards possibly actually being four. So that's that's what you want. Um, so we'll just have a normal name. It will just be called Open API 4. Yeah. We're not doing like cool branding now. Well, I mean, what's difficult because you're actually walking backwards. I don't know. (laughs) This is is several very casual steps backwards. Brilliant. Well, yeah, great. I'm glad to hear those changes. I mean, one one small thing in my head is that there are certain things that OpenAPI won't let you do that I've always been quite happy about in a way. Yeah. Because like OpenAPI will let you perfectly describe a bad API, but there are some of the things you shouldn't be doing that you can currently describe. And so by being able to describe more of those things you shouldn't be doing, I'm a little bit like flexibility is important so that you can get all the old APIs on and then you can edge them in the right direction with, you know, automated linters and and get them doing the right conventions that way. But part of it was also, your man, why did you do that? Please don't do that. Change that quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's a difficult. real concern. And, you know. I want, I want to represent and respect everyone else's work, but looking at the adoption for 3.1, mm. which was a very obvious improvement and upgrade for 3.0 users, some tools were available quite quickly. I know some took some time. There's a yeah. whole raft of new tools have come out for 3.1. We're really seeing the adoption now. 4.0 doesn't offer anything to existing users. Mm. It brings more people into the fold. And if you're an existing tools vendor, which obviously that's my job now, I'm not sure where we're going with that. It's going to be significantly more difficult to build for as things look at this very early stage. So I am supporting everything that's happening in the Open API initiative. I'm very excited to see just better education, better appreciation in the industry for what we do with Open API 3 and 3.1 and how it can help. I'm watching what's happening in 4. It takes a long time to write these specifications and for tools to follow. So nobody needs to panic. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not appearing anytime now. I mean, even if, even if, it was, didn't you say that Moot version four is committed to appearing sometime in 2024? Yeah. Well, that's that's 12 months long, isn't it? Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and I don't know, you know, Open API initiative does not build tools and I'm not, it's not clear to me right now who will. Right. Well, that's the thing. So yeah, like in a year's time, we could have a spec out and then still no one will use it because it takes a long time for, for tool and vendors to catch up, um, which is why it's important to like, you know, plow on whilst, but some tools have only just upgraded to 3.1. Yeah, this all takes a long time. So like someone needs to be thinking about the future instead of just going, don't change anything. It's scary. Yeah, I mean, it is about but, doing good rep- good support for yeah. 3.1. Lots of people are coming into APIs or raising their API game mm. now with what's available today. And I think, you know, I work in developer experience. I really care about stuff that you can do today. And so that's my focus. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to do both. But as long as, as long as the new one thinks about migration path, like as long as, as long as it's made in such a way where there is a migration path and and that can be automated, I think that's pretty important. Yes. That is one of the requirements. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got it. They must have listened to you in a past life. They got it. 
Yeah, well, Mike Ralphson's there saying like he, you know, he he made Swagger to Open API and he's going to make Open API three to Moonwalk or whatever. Like he he's on it. But uh, yeah, that that is important. And then um, the other thing, like Eric Wild made this really good point at a- API Days Paris about how async API released an async parser and it is like the de facto parser. You can parse a document any way you like but you can also use theirs. And I'm sure it's just written in, in TypeScript and nothing else. But mm-hmm. th- this thing this thing exists and and the majority of tools can use it. And an open API, the majority of the tools are TypeScript or Node something. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really thinking that like that is the next most important step is for somebody, probably Mike, let's be honest. He loves to write some code. Somebody to uh, just volunteered him either way. Somebody to write like an open API parser that is the default. Because there's been lots of these other little ones here and there. Like I've just deprecated one of them that I awkwardly inherited from some guy. I tried to help and then and then I got stuck doing all the code. And I was like, I don't have time for this. Um, there's a lot of these like awkward ones floating about. But if there can be one sample represent, uh, you know, uh, implementation initially written by a person, but as more people use it, more people will help maintain it. Um, and then that can be, okay, you've got, you've got your parser that works for 3.1, but there's this other parser over here that works for 4, and that makes it a lot easier to switch to because you don't have to rebuild your parser to support 4. You just use the thing, um, and then you don't have to worry about all the intricacy, awkward bits of YAML. It's just you have some models to, to work with. I really hope they can do that, and I'll be nagging people to give that a try without volunteering myself because I'm crap at code these days. <laughs> I think it's a tricky one, you know, because... I work for a tools vendor now, so I was like, oh, you're going to mm. build some of the tools. Do you want to tell me what else you're going to build so that we don't invest <laughs> our commercial expertise in that? Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm not really sure if the proliferation of many tools in OpenAPI is a feature or a bug, but I think feature, mm. I think the competition has helped because it's very open source, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's an open yeah. standard. There's loads of different tools. You know, OpenAPI.tools tells that story loud and clear. You can choose. It's in your tech stack. There's always something. Whereas I think right. if we go to one official version, we're tied down to the speed that the central initiative works at, which isn't always the same speed the industry does. Yeah. I mean, hey, maybe that could be a working group, right? In, instead of it just being a very overworked Mike Rousen trying <laughs> to do the thing to make all the vendors happy who are all getting paid to work on their tools and he's not. Maybe that could be a working group where we're like, let's hash out like what we need from a, a shared parser. And then if anyone in the group ends up not really getting something that they're happy with, then they can just go and make their own however they want. But yeah, definitely. It, it is a difficult line in general with like, should the Open API Foundation be making all this stuff? Because they're like, well, we've just made a documentation tool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and, that and, would be pretty messed up. Well, um, and the members are documentation tool vendors. Yeah. So that's awkward. Async API, I have the opposite one. And you might have seen this as well from um, having Async API support at Spectral. Uh, Redockly CLI has async API support as well, just for linting. We don't have it in docs yet. And honestly, there's, the async API community doesn't really talk about anyone else's tools. It doesn't have the same ecosystem. Mm. They just build their own tools. They're all quite closely coupled. It's the same people. Right. Postman pays them. That's what you get. And so it's very, very different, despite the fact that those two projects have quite a lot of shared philosophy. They also don't. And the tools is I a gotcha. really big yeah. differentiator. That is interesting. Well, still, I'm always excited about the potential for collaboration. And at some point I'll be picking your brains about, I chatted to all the other API linters and we're all going to have a conversation about like coming up with a shared rule set format. And even if it's not one that anyone particularly wants to make their, their default, it's just like, can we make some tools that swap them in all directions? Because that would be cool. Although 
got to talk to the optic team about they've just come up with um lint gpt mm -hmm. where you just write your rules as a, an array of strings and hope that the wizard is consistent but well, i think give that to all a try soon. i think optic currently have the best converters so they understand mm. this problem space but because yeah, yeah. redocly cli all our linting is very like ast data structure driven it's not mm. json path driven like the others my right. i had a quick look and i was like oh this is going to be really difficult interrupt because we're not describing <laughs> you know yeah, we're like yeah. it oh you have a response example here this is what we do with response examples it's not like it's this path this path this path right turn t turn left at this array then take the third success response element you know like it's not yeah like i got that. you because it's based on it's based on oas kit right and i remember how that works like oas kit just walks through and then goes oh i found one of these anyone care about this yeah you do cool run some rules on it whereas we're like go through the rules and then like delve into the depths following this arcane direction yeah i shouldn't have opened up this can of worms so late in the podcast uh, we like <laughs> to stick to 30, 35 minutes an normally <laughs> and i yeah i could i could talk to you for hours honestly yeah it, it's really great to have you on the show and uh, we'll have to get you back on to talk about other stuff in the future for sure. That would be uh, awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Cheers. Bye.